Welcome to the Parent-Infant Podcast, produced by the Parent-Infant Foundation, where our vision is that all babies have a sensitive, nurturing relationship to lay the foundation for lifelong mental and physical health. We do this through supporting the development and delivery of specialised parent-infant relationship teams around the UK, and by influencing policy. This episode is part of a mini-series looking at the theme of understanding early trauma and the importance of early relationships. Across the series, we will be exploring academic and professional perspectives on how babies show trauma, the reality for families experiencing multiple disadvantage, and Scotland as a trauma-informed nation. Enjoy listening. Hello, I'm Lucy Morton, Scottish Lead for the Parent Infant Foundation. Our guest today is Dr. Andrew Dawson. Andrew is the Professional Lead for Child Psychotherapy in Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. First of all, can you say a little bit more about yourself and your role within Infant Mental Health Services? Well, my professional background is in child psychotherapy, and that's a a different type of training in uh, child and adolescent mental health from from any of the others because it's focused on the emotional development and the relational development of the infant and it, it tracks that through the life cycle and also tunes into the emotional relational experience of parents and carers too and the the training's based on observational practice we do a long longitudinal study of an infant uh, for two years, we go into a family home, we write up what happens in detail, and then we go to a group and we discuss what we've seen. And what we're trying to do there is tune into what was the experience like for this infant? Uh, what was the experience like for, for the, the parents and the family? And and how did they manage to uh, relate to each other and to, to have a, a, a positive experience? And that doesn't mean to say it was a pleasant experience, it just means it, it resolved itself so if you've got an upset child or a tired child uh, how, how did they manage that together and that that way of thinking is really at the heart of child psychotherapy and we're looking to um, think about how do you create relationships uh, where growth is possible and where each party feels that they've got a sense of enjoyment out of being in a relationship um, and that would include the infant as well the, the infant feels that even if they're completely dependent on their carer or the parent, that there's something about the infant themselves that can call forward the actions and the relationship which will meet their needs. And that actually the care provider will enjoy doing that because there's uh, enough of a reward in the relationship itself to make that um, mutually rewarding. Wow, that's a lovely explanation of the role of psychotherapy and one which I quite hadn't quite heard put in that way before. Um, Andrew, the focus of this podcast is Scotland as a trauma-informed nation um, in the context of a wider theme for infant mental health awareness week of understanding early trauma. Um, and as an introduction to that, I thought it'd be helpful to think with you about Scotland's journey in infant mental health. Because um, we started working together didn't we, quite a long time ago, about 20 years ago, and at that time I was a social worker in Glasgow and I remember you worked in CAMS. Um, 
Can you talk a bit, a bit about your recollections of that time and what you've seen change in children's mental health services um, and, and the kind of the growth of thinking about infants? I think that the times have really changed and, and um, I, I think one of the things that, that, that made our work really exciting at the time, Lucy, you were, you were a social work manager, as I recall, um, but myself and a, a colleague from the CAMS team who was a, a clinical psychologist, Lindsay McLeod, we, we were really keen to do what we, you know, people always talk about supervision and it's, it's an overused word. Um, in child psychotherapy, we use that term a lot. We, we really just mean reflective practice where you're still in charge of your own work, but you go and think with somebody and you think about, again, the emotional relational experience and how you might use your relationship to um, alter things or to change things or to make developments possible. Yeah. But people, people often think when you use that word that, that you're going to get advice and, you know, we very rarely give advice. We might explore things or talk things through or be curious about things. That's right. And what we did at the time um, was really set up what we called a joint thinking forum, which we, we, we that came from colleagues, um, I think it was Janet Sherrod and uh, a family therapist, uh, John, I can't remember his second name, John Griffiths at North Camps, right. who set that up. Um, but we liked that term a lot because it, it suggested that we were just going to think together and it wasn't somewhere where you were coming for advice. That's right, because I remember at the time, I mean, being a social worker, um, I found quite sometimes quite an overwhelming experience just trying to think about the experience of babies within um, very complex family situations and then sometimes what felt like an even more complex system of decision making um, and different forums um, and, and there was always this kind of tendency as a social worker to see a role as taking some sort of action and making plans for children and I remember once you talking about um, I think you were actually starting the Watch, Wait and Wonder programme and talking about doing some very thoughtful de detailed work with families and at the time, even though I appreciated the quality of what you were talking about, it kind of felt almost like an add-on or something um, something almost luxurious that you would be doing with families. And I suppose my journey with social work and infant mental health is just un understanding that that, is, that kind of work and really trying to help infants and parents um, make the best of their relationship and the different um, pressures that they're dealing with that are affecting that relationship, that that is going to make the difference to the child feeling protected and safe. But it was a journey that I had to go on, um, you know, to really understand the value of that work. Do you think um, that there has been a change generally in, in Scotland in terms of valuing work with infants and, and where we are now in terms of investment in that area of work? I think I think change is happening. I, I think change is very slow and then re really fast and then really slow again. Right. So I, I don't think it's a, a straightforward progression. Um, yeah. I think, I think we might talk later on about the, 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 um, the policy landscape. That has definitely changed. Um, yeah. And although I think implicitly some of the th same things have been in um, policy for a long time. I think the Scottish government's got really good at being explicit about some aspects of relationship-based practice. Yeah. Um, relationship-based practice, what that means for, for uh, MD that's listening that, that, that might have a question about it, we don't just mean that you meet somebody face-to-face -to, -face to do a programme of work. We mean that actually you're really present 
in in the relationship and that you you're trying very hard to understand the unique individual that's in front of you or the unique unique couple parent child couple um or a the family circumstances and that you tune into them in, in as much uh, detail and compassion as you can manage. You, you were talking about the policy landscape and, and I think you and I both are, are aware of how privileged we are in Scotland to have a kind of very enabling policy landscape. And one of the things we want to talk about in this podcast is Scotland as a trauma-informed nation. And I think it would be helpful for people for whom this may be a new concept. Andrew, could you maybe talk a little bit about the principles behind that and how it came about? Uh, yeah, I think that came into sharp focus for me in 2019. We had the Association for Child Psychotherapy had its annual conference in Glasgow. And um, as part of that, I did a presentation on, uh, on getting it right for every child, which is the Scottish Government legislation relating to, to child protection. Uh, and child well-being and uh, what I didn't realise uh, until I did that and I, I compared the child protection systems in the different nations of the UK was just how different Scotland is Yeah, and uh, that came as something of a surprise and the more I realised that the more the difference seemed to widen which I thought was interesting as well so uh, for people who aren't in Scotland, Scotland has signed up to the UN Convention um, on the rights of the child and uh, as far as I understand the, the, the UK government has challenged Scotland, the Scottish government's right to do that uh, and it's uh, I think concerned that things will go into legislation that um, compromise other laws elsewhere in the UK right. uh, now, even just as a starting point there's a cultural difference there because if you talk to people involved in looking after children in Scotland, there's almost a incredulity that everybody hasn't already signed up to that. Yeah. Which I think is a, a really interesting starting point. Um, then the presentation I, I did uh, in 2019 was about how you would make that specific to your role. So I was looking at how to get child psychotherapy right for every child and really yeah. trying to say, well, let's not... Um, I'm a big fan of evidence-based practice, but the evidence I'm most interested in is when you've just got one subject and how can you show a meaningful progression in that child's life? And uh, that, that, uh, that I think is something where we can go back to the Scottish context from policy, which uh, it's a really difficult thing for policymakers to say, we want you to make a difference for each individual child, you see? Yeah. Uh, when actually everything that's set up is also to say, well, can you make sure you're using a randomised controlled trial to make sure that your your intervention works? That's great. Really, I do approve of that and I'm behind that. But the trouble with that is, uh, what if your intervention works for six out of ten young people? It's not good enough. Um, and what you have to do is make sure this is working for the young person that's right in front of you. And the the... The getting it right for every child legislation, I think, is really good at, at showing a way of doing that. Is it, so you're saying that the different policies that kind of form the context uh, that we're working with in Scotland support work which is sensitive to trauma. Is that the idea or, of the trauma-informed yeah. yeah. nation? So I, I suppose that the idea of, of the referral to CAMS that I discussed earlier, where you know, you've got somebody who's, who's been moved placement, but they've actually lost every relationship in their life. Yeah. What what that needs is everybody 
to be trauma-informed, uh, including um, the lollipop uh, man uh -huh. who sees this child uh, holding his carer's hand but kicking his carer at the same time as they go to school. Yeah. Uh, and not to be judgmental of that child, to think, well, actually, there might be something happening there that, that's yeah. trauma-related and, and uh, I'm going to make an e extra effort to be civil to them as they come past us. So it's something about the kind of emotional climate that children are living in on a day-to-day -day basis. Is that really what we're yeah. trying to improve and make kind of more gentle for children? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, also not just for children, for the families that bring them, because, uh, and again, this is a long-term process, we're getting better understanding that trauma yes can happen for a child but often if you get a child with trauma you're looking at a traumatized family yeah and sometimes you're looking at a traumatized family before you look at the child the, the trauma with the child you know it could yeah. be historic and it could be intergenerational so there are, there are barriers to services there are barriers to going to school if you're a traumatized child um it's a really bustling environment there's lots of things happening that if you get a startle response you might find that you're shocked or upset or or triggered many 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 times a day uh, and uh, that could be interpreted as bad behavior and um, if you're if you're lucky it's naughty behavior uh, or it could be interpreted as um, uh, a neurodevelopmental difficulty uh, but actually what if it's just this environment is too rough too loud uh, too unpredictable for the child to feel safe yeah and what what i think the independent care review and all those conversations that happened round about that over the last um the, the conversations that i think have been running longer than, than the care review but uh, those conversations are really bringing up the idea that we do have to listen uh, and highlighting the corporate parenting aspect of that so you think that there's enough of a collective momentum around this to have actually affected some real change in how we're acting together and how communities feel? I think so. Um, I, I think it might be patchy, but also I do feel that uh, at a policy level, the, the direction of travel has been really helpful and good. Yeah. I, 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 how, how do we actually, how do we then change communities? How do we change systems? Uh, that's such a long-term project. Um, and change ourselves, presumably, because we're all part of this, aren't we? Absolutely. And we all we all have some of these sometimes quite, you know, we all react as infants, as, as kind of, you know, angry toddlers sometimes as well, don't we? And you can feel yourself sometimes getting these kind of very strong emotions that you can't explain sometimes. And that's where relationships might need some support. Before the baby's born is, is ideal, and then the um, the professional that you're dealing with, uh, ideally would support the um, the idea that you're meeting the baby that's actually in front of you. Yes. Uh, and uh, you can start to get to know this new individual and all the foibles and delights and uh, <laughs> everything that goes with it. Um, and we do know as well, uh, and this is I think somewhere we can really make a bigger difference across the board. See if we get infant mental health right. And by, by that, what do, I, what do I mean by infant mental health? And there's, you know, there's there's official um, 
definitions of that but what i mean is that, that you've got a parent who can tune into you and can can feel confident that they with the support of the people around about them can can get to know you and meet your needs yeah and keep you safe yeah uh, i think if you've got that well you're, you're set up to succeed in life you're not set up to be to have the best job or to be the most intelligent person or to have lots of friends but you're set up to be able to feel that other people are rewarding and to feel that relationships are worthwhile. So and those are early relationships are kind of the building blocks of the child's yeah. emotional world. And uh, uh, going forward. Uh, uh, Professor Amy McCrory at UCL has done, done some great work. So he, he calls that, um, a he, he describes two bits of research. First, he talks about how if you've not got that good start and certainly if you've been accommodated, um that you develop what's called a latent vulnerability which means you're likely to to have uh, many many more mental health problems but probably sub threshold you know you, you just maybe not meet a full diagnostic criteria for something but you'll have lots of things that are like depression or like hyperactivity um, but not quite typical of it and he then went on to review well what does that actually mean what what how can we explain that and he came up with the theory that he's calling a uh, social thinning and i found that to be really a great way to think about it that actually can we not make relationships really good at the start and uh, if they're good at the start people infants will make an effort to keep making good relationships as they go forward in life because it's worthwhile and they've got the skills to do it do you have an example, Andrew? I know we talked about you possibly thinking about an example from your own practice that might illustrate some of the themes that you've been talking about. Uh, it's, it's difficult to do that without um, sort of consent to talk about yes. cases. Uh, I, I, I would talk a little bit about how I noticed, uh, I'm going back to the child protection um, work. So, so one of the things that... Uh, the child psychotherapist does contribute to training it on emotional neglect and uh, not harmful parent-child interactions in the way that a social worker would do in a child protection sense but unintentionally harmful interactions so okay. things that are happening between a, a family or a parent and a child where the parent has no insight but it is causing harm so an example right. might be um, a, a parent who really thinks that their child's got a severe mental health disorder and keep, right. keeps presenting them, keeps insisting on that. Now, that, that's a good, that parent thinks they're doing a good thing. They are doing a good thing. They're trying to make sure the child gets the right attention from the right people. Uh -huh. um, but they, for some reason, some parents can't be reassured, and often for good reasons as well, Lucy, I, I appreciate that. But they keep presenting with more um, urgency. Uh, but actually, when the child's seen... And when the child's seen without that parent being there, they present, present very differently. So you would have to ask, well, uh, is that a problem that's innate to the child or is the problem that the parent's noticing actually about something that happens in their relationship? And that actually, if you, can, if you can use that term, like you're bringing your child to the right place, but what you're wanting isn't what will help you. What what you what will help you is thinking about how you and your child think. What's it like for your child to hear you be negative about them in that way all the time? And can we look at the language you're using there? And what you find is the child will help you. And if you work 
with that relationship um actually things can become much clearer sometimes mom says well actually turns out um uh, we've got a family problem with this issue it's not just the child and then you can explore it differently uh -huh. uh, or um actually i'm just really worried because i uh, i had a a relative with a very severe mental illness and i, I, I just keep fret, being frightened yeah that's going to so you can start to understand it differently and then it's what, just then what yeah. happens is you can have a proper look at what mental health support the child needs and you, you get a clearer view and you, you can work together but that requires parents really trusting you so how do you build that trust then andrew um well, slowly and preferably um with others and that that's where i think the the framework of garfec if you like which is about working together uh, to help people i think is correct because actually you want to help people in the right place at the right time so quite often uh, quite often if they're coming and they keep coming back that's just a matter of working through things because if they keep coming back you've got a way of doing it uh, and uh, it's our fault if we can't find a way forward there's there as practitioners sometimes we can't but it's our fault if we can't so uh, it's about persevering even when people are at first might find it difficult to form relationships yeah yeah and also um again tuning into them what's it, what what is it they're actually telling you what's life actually like for them for, yeah. for, and a uh, uh, and can together can can you together really understand the emotional experience and how how the relationship could be improved uh, in that context and there's something in scotland as well about the kind of sense of humor and that appreciation of everyday life that i think keeps us all grounded in the reality of you know that things can change and there is hope i always feel that however sometimes it can feel um difficult as well there's always that other side isn't there that there's that real you know you get that the wee humor you get everywhere you go and um even within families where there's a huge complexity of problems you often get moments of real joy and humor yeah um, and very, keeps us all going doesn't yeah. it and also just thinking especially in, in um, a big working class communities you know there's a shared sense of trauma i mean people have lived through yeah. together and uh, yeah. you know people recognize family dynamics and um it, it you know it, it's not a surprise to find that there's trauma in families that's so right i think there's an understanding of it and uh i, I that's right there can be quite a big um moral judgment on it as well in terms of how do you manage that but but i think people have a, an appreciation that it does need to be managed and uh, the sense of humor definitely cuts through everything because there's there's always somebody who can find a way to make a joke even in the worst situation and, and I think that that is a, a spark of life you know there's something that, that's about surviving in there as well that that, um, that we could really build on yeah. collectively can't we, we one, one thing about uh, I just wanted to mention about the um the independent care review and that was the as well as the trauma-informed nation they've also made what they call the promise following that and that is basically a uh, particularly to a uh, children who have been through the care system uh, but it's I think also talking to all children in Scotland that the government wants you to grow up feeling loved and that's in the policy that that word loved is actually in the policy statement which I think is maybe different from elsewhere 
loved, loved, safe and respected. And we want you to reach your full potential. And that being in the, the legislation, I think is really interesting. Um, I really noticed that that's what young people were saying in all of the workshops that led up to uh, the review and every, every conference you went to where young people were represented, they would always bring that up. And I, I think it's great to see it in the literature. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because in some ways it's so obvious that we know that that's what children crave and need, isn't it? We all do to be loved, and yet sometimes we shy away from that word. So I agree with you. It's just amazing. It's lovely to have that enshrined in legislation. I think one of the things that infant mental health does, and um, I've got to just also say how great your organisation is and the website and how great the resources are about setting up a service and evaluating things it's fantastic and hopefully uh, people know about it um but, but i think one of the things about loved and the services that we're trying to develop in, in glasgow is it's not just about making sure the child's loved because i think people think that that's it but what we <laughs> want to do is to make sure that the infant has got an experience of being loved uh, and is also able to love back that's really, again, I feel like I want to talk to you for the next hour about that, but we do have to draw this to a close. So one question, Andrew, one last question we're asking every guest on this series is what is one message or lesson about early trauma that you think people need to hear? What would that one thing be for you? Well, I, I suppose that um, over the last few years, as I say, I've been doing a lot of, of training in relation to emotional neglect and I don't think any of the children I've worked with have been deliberately emotionally neglected I think it's been unintentional and I do like that word unintentional because I think it shows what can happen in families yeah I think most harm happens without anybody meaning to do it yeah and I think with if services uh, can tune into that uh, then change and help is possible and as soon as you start to really overthink that something has been deliberately done, I think it, it stops change being possible sometimes. So that, as I suppose, is a great word. Uh, and the, yeah. other, the other phrase I like is working towards. Uh, so it's, it's not that we're going to change relationships and everything's going to be rosy uh, quickly sometimes, yeah. but we can work towards it. And actually, uh, often we've got a whole childhood to do that. The faster we do it, the better for everyone. Um, but we can we can help families to, um, to to be together and to grow together. And uh, I, I think that that's really a hopeful uh, sentence or a hopeful phrase. Working towards. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'll take that away and keep it with me. Thank you so much, Andrew, for a for a really insightful discussion. Oh, lovely to talk to you. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Parent Infant Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. This episode is part of a mini-series looking at the theme of understanding early trauma and the importance of early relationships. You can find our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts.